What's the significance of numbers in the Gospel of John and the book of Ezra? In fact, what's the significance of numbers in the Bible generally? Well, hello and welcome to the God's Story podcast. I'm Brent Siddle, and uh, I'm joined once again by my co-host, the Reverend Ian Reid, Rido from Australia. That's what we call him, Rido, of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North in New Zealand, and our very special guest joining us today, uh, from Cambridge, England, or thereabouts, is Tyndale House researcher James Bajon. James has a Bachelor of Science in Mathematics and an MA in Hebrew and Jewish Studies, and is currently studying for another MA at Cambridge in Asian and Middle Eastern Studies. We must ask him how he manages to do it. James is also about to teach a course on biblical numbers with Dr. Alistair Roberts at the Theopolis Institute in the States. You all know Alistair from the show. Uh, James is a prolific tweeter on the subject of numbers in the Bible, and I mean prolific. He's amazing. And um, this may be one of the very few podcast episodes out there that's actually based on someone's tweets. <laughs> and as someone who makes a brilliant use of Twitter, here he is, James Bajon. James, hi, how are you? Very good, thanks. And it's, it's, it's very, very good to be here. It's, oh, it's, a, it's a pleasure oh. to have you with us, James. It's, it's fabulous. It's great to meet you after all the after all the tweets. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I was a listener of the podcast already, you see. So it, it was a great privilege to be asked. Oh, gosh, we're, we're humbled. We really are. Yeah, and it's a privilege for us. It's the other way around. Now, what's the significance of just generally, what's the significance of numbers in the Bible, James? Okay, well, I mean, in very generic terms, then, I would say they are just part of the means um, by which the text of, of Scripture conveys its 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 message and its meaning. Um, I mean, so, suppose by analogy, suppose you ask me, what's the significance of, of colours in the Bible, let's say? Um, I think we'd probably want to say something like they, they describe things, they describe all sorts of things, and, and by doing that, they... They kind of help us to connect different parts of scripture and attach them, imbue them with different significance. Um, let, let's think of Judah, for instance. You know, Judah is a guy who in um, Genesis 49 is um, associated with scarlet garments. You know, he's this man whose garments are uh, soaked in wine and drenched in the blood of um, grapes. And as you go through scripture, you see scarlet imbued with all sorts of significance. You know, it's to do with sin. Our sins are like scarlet, Isaiah tells us, and in fact, to do with sin's solution, you know, in, in the shedding of blood. And you get a lot of this kind of reflected through Judah's line. We can think of Tamar, who sort of, you know, tie, ties a scarlet card, uh, sorry, uh, a scarlet cord around uh, her son's wrist, Zerah, whose name actually sort of refers to scarlet. And um, we can think a bit later of how Rahab is saved by means of a scarlet cord and, and the royal line is associated with scarlet in lamentations let's say um and all that then becomes very significant you know when we come when we come to the gospels and see jesus a son of judah going to the cross clothed in scarlet we can put all this together you know he goes to the cross as a king and as a sin bearer and and so forth and i think numbers just do a similar thing you know when we see 12 in various places or when we see 17 there, it lets us connect different parts of scripture together and connect them with various symbols. And so it's all just part of that rich and, and wonderful way in which scripture conveys its message. Now, we're going to come on and talk with you today about numbers and John and particularly the, the number seven and the, the seven 
weeks of seven and the number 49 and jubilee and all this all this amazing uh, stuff but how yeah. how i wonder do the seven days of creation let's start right at the beginning how do the seven days of creation permeate and structure the whole bible yeah in 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 many ways really you need to get alistair on to, to talk we've, about we've done a podcast with alistair on this but i just wanted to get you to answer this because we're yeah. going to go straight on to the seven days and john so good good um yeah well i mean I guess one thing to say about the seven days is that as soon as you start reading scripture, it's very obvious that there are these days and they're given numbers. They're given this regular rhythm and tempo. And there was evening and there was morning the first day, repeated again for the second day, for the third day, etc. We we don't need all this. We know how to count and we know that an evening and a morning kind of makes a day after we've been told it once. So there's this sort of this very deliberate way in which the scripture kind of forms a series there. And I think that does all sorts of things. I mean, one one thing it does is it kind of frames the Sabbath as this pinnacle, this climax to a whole series. Many people have noticed, I think, the way in which you have the first three days to do with forming environments and the next three days to do with filling them you know so how something is, is formless and it's made into a uh, a day and a night and then how that is filled in the fourth day um, with the moon and stars and sun and so forth so you almost get this two by three structure think of it as sort of uh you know two threefold pillars crowned and with this sort of sabbath-like pinnacle so you get this sense of building you could think of solomon's throne the way there is this flight of six steps that leads up to a throne and this is just reflected everywhere i think of months you know the 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 calendar the first six months very much sort of flow up to the seventh as a a pinnacle it's this major month where the fulling gathering of the harvests has come in and where it's the third of the major feasts as they're set out in uh, Exodus and how it's got three feasts itself, trumpets, atonements, tabernacles. And of course, then that same structure is brought out in years. So you get a sabbatical year, which is kind of got much of the same uh, symbolism and all that. Uh, the main event of that seventh sabbatical year is in the seventh month. And there's, there's lots more that we could say about that but it's this sense of a series that comes to a climax you know um that that's the big idea i think you tweet that symbolically the climax of john's gospel is set against the backdrop of three moments now before we get into all the sevens in john what are the three moments yeah okay so maybe we just want to take a, a, a very brief step back um first and and just say very quickly as you read john you do get this sense in which the whole thing is is building up so we've just been talking about the week and the way it, it builds up what well, as soon as you get going in john you get various days mentioned and things progressing and you get a last day you know and you get an hour reference that's not yet coming uh not yet come and an hour that is coming and then uh, a final hour and Kind of as the gospel proceeds, references particularly to the final hour come thicker and faster. So you're really getting this sense of um, of crescendo and things coming to a head. And I guess in a nutshell, you know, my, my claim is that when you follow through all this in John, um, you get Jesus crucified, 
symbolically um, at the seventh hour of a day and on a 50th day that we could think of as Pentecost and on a Jubilee year. Now, I want to say, you know, that those are theological claims. You know, John has a detailed historical time frame to it. And actually, when people put chronologies together of Jesus' life and ministry, John's very often what they go to because you you have a detailed succession of of feasts and therefore you get a three-year or slightly more than three-year ministry from it. So John, you know, is a historical book and its details are accurate, but kind of behind that historical chronology, I would say is this sort of symbolic come theological chronology, which is meant to frame Jesus' death in, in, in very particular ways. So he seven seven weeks of seven effectively. How does John set up the gospel, his gospel, in terms of the seven days of creation and seven weeks of seven? In terms of seven weeks of seven, okay. So I think the big idea is that John makes uh, a point in his gospel of recording the passing of days in chapter one. Let's say straight off the bat, we get this creation-related imagery. We have darkness at the start, and then we get two lights introduced. John is 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 the lesser light, and Jesus the greater light. So, you know, we've got the darkness, we've got the sun and the moon. A bit later, we're going to have the spirit of God hovering over the waters. So, we're thinking of creation from the word go. But John then connects the kind of individual episodes, the individual incidents of his gospel together with temporal connections with the the passing of days so if you think that we've begun on day one with the darkness in chapter one of us 29 um we get the next day mentioned so kind of theologically or symbolically or whatever we're we're moving into day two um verse 35 again we get the next day so now we're in day three and the same again in uh, verse 43 so we're into day four and then in chapter two we're told that on the third day Jesus arrives in Cana to celebrate this um, wedding. So, you know, from day four, when we have the third day, we're in this seventh day, we're in this Sabbath moment. And and, uh, connections with feasts, with what, with a feast and with wine, plugs into a lot of that harvest and tabernacles-y imagery. So you've got a a kind of seventh moment reflected uh, in another sense there in John. And again, I, I think I want to say that, None of that is really necessary. You know, you, you can string incidents together just with the word and, or as the Bible often does with after these things. You don't even need to know that they're successive in a sense. When you move on to a new scene, the, the narrative just sort of goes with it. So John, I think, really does want to construct this sort of um, chronology. And and my claim is that when you follow that same sort of logic that I've set out in chapters one and two which other people have have noticed when you follow that through you get these seven weeks emerging if you think of sort of chapters one and two uh, of as an initial week then follow it through you soon start to note a uh, a second week in chapters three and four and um chapter seven one of the middle weeks there is uh the middle week of the, of the seven in, in John, that's the week of the Feast of Tabernacles. And 
that's brought to a climax very deliberately by um, John when Jesus stands up on the last day um, of the feast on that great day and, and he sort of talks and and so so I think there's there's this effort from John to kind of beneath the historical chronology to sort of construct all these themes. Yes. What's the significance of the seventh hour in John? How does the seventh hour play a, play, play a role? Okay. So the, the seventh hour then, I think, is um, uh, is something different. Again, I mean, a seventh hour, you could again see as something that has a, a climactic sense. If you think of a day as something with 12 hours from dawn through to dusk then the seventh hour is going to be the heat of the day that's a common old testament um phrase actually the the time when things are hottest and you could think of a, a day therefore like the year as having a, a kind of symmetry you know something that comes to a seventh hour and and then sort of declines on the other side of it and jesus specifically refers to a seventh hour uh or, or rather um john kind of uh frames what jesus does against that backdrop so in john chapter four um we find jesus seated um beside a well at the sixth hour and later in that same chapter um when jesus tells an official who comes to him asks him to heal his son um we have john saying that the uh the son was healed on the seventh um hour so we have initially a reference to a sixth hour which in light of what we've said we could say is anticipatory it kind of looks forward to a seventh hour which we get soon and again now put all that against the backdrop of some of the things that we've previously been talking about how in chapter two jesus says his hour hasn't yet come then how he talks about an hour which is coming um and, and so again there's there's throughout john this sense of movement to this great climactic hour yes why does jesus die at the seventh hour Okay, so again, I, I guess that's something that has a historic sense. So Jesus is brought to appear before Pilate, isn't he, on on uh, the sixth hour, and so that sort of sets up the the very final hour when Jesus is crucified as the seventh hour. You know, the time when Jesus has said himself, "The hour has come uh, for the Son of Man to be glorified." And my claim here is that that um that final hour that that seventh hour has some old testament uh resonances in terms of old testament prophecy and um there are a couple of references we could go to but a, a particular one is is found in amos when god says that he's going to make a an end of israel and he says that he will make the sun go down at, at noon and he will darken the earth and interestingly god says he will turn israel's feasts into funerals you know think of the fact here that jesus is going to die on a feast day you know on the day of the, the the passover and and um i think therefore this this last hour this seventh hour this time when um the sky goes dark at, at noon this then i think is is very significant because jesus is is bearing a curse which israel should have borne you know deserved to bear and which should have made an end of Israel. Um, but here, I guess, we have, as the sky goes dark, we have Jesus bearing that curse so that Israel might might live to see another day. In the seventh week of seven, which brings us to a year of Jubilee, that's got to be significant in John. 
It is, yeah. So I think we've got a couple of things um, going on here. So I think that a Pentecost is is a is, is a kind of mini jubilee, and I think the seventh week of seven is is playing into firstly into Pentecost and secondly into jubilee. So I mean, we we could take them one at a time. Um, I mean, let, let let's think for a, for a start the way in which the final week of John is introduced in in this quite sort of deliberate way at the start of chapter i think it's chapter 12 it says six days before the passover um jesus sets out to go to jerusalem and you know the the plot to kill him has been finalized there and then sort of six days before the passover he sets out to make his final uh march into jerusalem and that makes the passover a, a, a kind of six a kind of sixth day in the Bible, I think it's common to count days uh, inclusively. You, you could think about um, Luke when Jesus uh, says when Herod's going to come and kill him. Jesus says uh, today and tomorrow I, what does he say, cast out uh, devils and heal diseases. And on the third day, um, he, you know, so you have sort of tomorrow and uh, sorry, today and tomorrow. And then on the third day, I will finish my course. So there's this inclusive counting so six days before the passover makes the passover a sixth day we then have after the passover a day of rest the sabbath day when jesus's body uh, rests in the grave and and we then i guess at the start of a new week we have jesus raised from the dead and the fact that that coincides with pentecost symbolically i think is just very very significant you know um jesus has said unless a, a grain of wheat uh, falls into the earth and, and dies it, it it will remain alone you know but if it dies it, it will bear much fruit now pentecost is the the start of the wheat harvest in agricultural terms and and so it's got this association built into it of things uh, you know rising from the earth and and bearing much fruit uh, just as jesus is going to be the start of a new harvest but i mean there, there's lots mm. more to it than that if, if you think of um the pentecost the sacrifices that were due to be given on the day of pentecost they are i think i'm right in saying this they're the only sacrifices in the sacrificial system to have leaven um baked into them um and and so you've got this whole idea of rising just very very naturally ingrained into Pentecost. So you've got Jesus rising on a 50th day. And I think that is kind of amplified uh, a lot in Jubilee, which, yeah, we can go into that. Yes, and well, Jesus rising in a 50th year as well. Before we come on to, that's, yeah, yeah. John, that's John dealt with, brother. We've got 10 minutes. We're going to move on to Ezra. Before we do that, oh. Rido, okay. quick question for questions for James. Uh, you kind of a tangential one, you know. John is writing well before computers are invented. You know, kind of you know, pen, you know, kind of parchment. Practically, you know, this is we just worked our way through Revelation, and just the number of times that he only he uses a word seven times, or uses a word twelve times, or a phrase, you know, specific amounts of time. Like it's just ridiculous how many times that happens, yeah, and yeah. it's not it's not coincidental, right? You know, kind of it's well. How does he do that? You know, kind of 
without without drafting, you know, kind of he's able just to construct something. And, and it's the same with the Book of John, right? You know, kind of yeah, yeah. how is he able to construct it in such a, a brilliant kind of way? Yeah, I mean, I suppose the Holy Spirit helps with this kind of thing, doesn't it? <laughs> Thankfully. Um, so you've, you've obviously got the superintention of God. One thing which I'd like to look into more is that this idea of counting words is not at all unnatural in terms of Jewish writing and mindset. So if you look at a copy of the Old Testament in what we call like the Masoretic text so this is the version of the hebrew bible um preserved by the masseries preserved by this particular um scribal tradition very often they'll have totals in the margin that tell you how often certain things occur either in a, a passage or in the whole of scripture so for instance when you start reading um genesis 1 i'm pretty sure i'm remembering this right there's a note in the margin that says and the phrase and god said appears exactly 29 times in the whole Hebrew Bible. And needless to say, they've, they've got it right. You know, <laughs> they're, they're good at counting these sorts of guys. And I would assume that a large part of that is to make sure, uh, is to kind of build a check into scripture so that you, you haven't missed things out. Because you could easily miss out, uh, and God said, and the 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 meaning of scripture would still be the same. It, it would be fine. But they don't want to lose words so they've got these kind of count based checks um written in the margins of the masoretic text so that you can make sure that you've got a, a genuine copy so i guess that's that's sort of like a human way in which I, I think you can say that this isn't something weird that in the 21st century because we've got computers we've thought it's a funky and fun thing to do it, it it would have been actually quite a natural um, thing for people to start thinking about and even building into uh, a text. Right, we'll better, better head on to Ezra's clans, the Jubilee and 153 fish. And believe me, folks, this does all add up at the end, hopefully, if we get there. Now, <laughs> okay, right. Now, what's the significance of the number 42 in the list of Ezra's clans and Ezra 2? Okay, so let's try and be quick. So... I've got a sort of cumulative argument here. So um, I guess stage one is that 42 is significant. Step two is that 42 is tied to the Jubilee. So that is its significance. And sort of finally, that the Jubilee is in fact something that's significant to the theme of Ezra. So it's not just this kind of random connection with numbers that we're making, but there, there's some sort of thematic um, import to it in the first place. So... Ezra 2, you've got lots of numbers in there. So it's not a weird thing to do to start kind of thinking there might be some significance to this. It's a kind of, Ezra 2 is a detailed breakdown of 42,000 people. That's given in verse 64 at, at the end of thing. It consists of 42 head counts. It's got a list of temple staff that's got 42 clans in it. And in all the numbers in Ezra, the lowest one is 42. So, you know, Ezra will say the sons of Parosh and give a number, the sons of Bevi and give a number and so on. And the lowest of all those numbers is 42. Um, it so happens, and I realised this after I wrote, wrote the article, that in Ezra 8, when Ezra talks about the people that he comes back with, he also does that with 42 names. So there are lots of 42s in Ezra 2. That's the sort of the short. And what's the significance of the number 42? Because you write about Hebrew gematria 
What's the yeah. significance of 42 in gematria? Okay, so um, just as in with Roman numerals, we're happy that sort of X is 10 and V is 5 and those sorts of things. You can write Hebrew numbers just with letters. And so when we say the gematrial value of Jubilee is 42, which it is, that just means that the Hebrew word Yovel, which you write, you know, you'd bet Lamed, has a total of uh, adds up to, to 42. So the Jubilee, I would say, is connected to 42, um, A, gematrally, but B, just in loads of other ways, because it, it, it's one of these very pregnant numbers. So, um, Ian, you were talking about Revelation. You know, So in Revelation, you've got 42 months there as sort of half a week. So it's, it's 42 is one of those numbers that sort of looks to complete the full week but it, it it does that in so many other way ways it's kind of made up of six weeks if you like because it's six groups of seven so it it sort of looks on to a seventh seven um doesn't it a seventh week a, a sort of jubilee um moment and all that is picked up in the gospels in in various ways think of matthew's genealogy sort of three fourteens or, or, or six sevens looking forward to jesus as this jubilee guy so 42 i think is is connected to jubilee in in this kind of this massive ways how does jubilee and ezra connect with the jubilee framework in john's gospel okay so i think that the big numbers in ezra's list of um clans are, are 12 42 and 98 so ezra's list is headed up with 12 leaders 12 guys who come back from exile it's got all these 42s that we've spoken about already and it's also got exactly 98 um clan names so a sort of a double jubilees worth of clan names now my claim is that all these things are echoed in john and if you've gone through revelation and you've seen all these sequences of numbers and the way they're all significant that becomes sort of a bit less of an ad hoc claim but john i think has these same numbers 12 42 and 98 john is about jesus choosing and, and particular particularly sort of protecting the 12 so thinking john 18 when uh, jesus is going to go to the cross and he says of all those whom the father has entrusted to me you know given to me i will not lose one so he's chosen these 12 and and he he will keep them um, and just as Ezra mentions uh, 98 clan names, in the book of John, you get the names of the disciples used exactly 98 times. So you've got the 12 and the um, 98 there. I haven't yet established a link between the 42 and John. So that's a sort of um, something that I'm going to sort of put on the bookshelf and if one comes to light then it, it will be sort of more more ammunition but i do have a link to the 153 um because john has a hundred uh, this count of 153 um fish at the end of his gospel and ezra's list of numbers in uh chapter two they are made up of exactly 153 um hebrew words and i claim Again, we can get into this, but that this idea of sort of uh, 153 fish connecting to Ezra 2 isn't just this sort of 
random thing. There's all sorts of stuff connecting that as well. Mm. James Bajon, Tyndale House researcher at Cambridge University. I can see why you've got a maths degree, brother. <laughs> well, yeah, I've, I've actually got a fairly lousy maths degree. I didn't do very well at it. <laughs> Never mind. It serves when it comes to the theology. It's absolutely brilliant. May we have you on again soon? I think we've uh, pegged in a discussion on the genealogies, haven't we? Because you've come up with some ingeniously brilliant solution to something oh, that's been perplexing yeah. everybody else for 2,000 years. But we'll come on to that in due course. So thank you so much for your time, James Bajon. And where can people find you? You're on Twitter? Yeah, I am. I think if you just plug in James B. John, I'm, I'm sure you'll get some links to various things. So I've done some stuff with Tino oh, House. Which is just you, a, you, you'll be, you'll, your mind will be blown if you read James' stuff. Um, I mean, I'm a, a great reader of your tweets. And um, the, the, the piece on uh, the, the Temple of Ezekiel in 40 to, uh, te- Ezekiel 40 to 48 is absolutely fabulous. We'll get into that as well. And my thanks also to Rito. Sorry, Rito, you hardly got a word in this time. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> didn't need to, of course. <laughs> didn't need to. No, I'm, I'm still coping with all the numbers. Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North, New Zealand. Gentlemen, thank you both so much for your time. Thank you very much. It's been great to, yeah, to meet you and to be on as well. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating and leave a review. This will help more people discover God's story for themselves. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more, please visit godstorypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's godstorypodcast.com.